from the unreal to the real lead us from darkness unto light lead us from death to immortality om peace 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 good morning everybody um today's subject is i think the most comprehensive question than what can ask in spiritual life subject of knowledge and action what i mean by this is that in spiritual life there are these two aspects one is god realization enlightenment whatever you call it that's one side of it and the other side of it is our lives uh, quite apart from our spiritual life we seem to have another secular life should i say uh, people have careers and families and personal lives all of that so the question is how do i realize god how do i become enlightened and uh, how and having become enlightened um or during the pursuit of enlightenment how do i live my life the so called rest of my life so there seems to be this division between a spiritual life and a secular life which is what i call knowledge and action and what is the relationship between them uh, specifically this question comes from a question that arjuna asked krishna uh, in the bhagavad gita at the beginning of the third chapter arjuna asks krishna jayasi ched karmanaste mata buddhir janardana tat kim karmani ghore mam niyojayasi keshava what does that mean o lord o krishna if in your opinion in your understanding knowledge that is gyana yoga the knowledge of the self is superior to action then why are you instigating me pushing me into this terrible action the war why do you keep insisting on this the context is of course the second chapter of the bhagavad gita where krishna starts teaching arjuna arjuna had asked a question about action that should i do this or should i not do this this what i'm going to engage in this terrible war it seems horrible should i do it or not and then the in in answer krishna says that um, you are not the body and mind you are this infinite spiritual being realization that you are this infinite spiritual being will take take you beyond the sufferings of of uh, mortal life you realize you are immortal you are not subject to the changes of the body changes of the mind um you are ever at peace ever perfect and this is to be realized so obviously arjuna would say well that's great i'd love to do that but what about this thing oh a krishna's response is oh you have to fight this war <laughs> why <laughs> it seems to me that what you have said uh, that that's really worthwhile if that's true then what else is uh, equal to it enlightenment is the thing one thing that we should all try to do so 
that seems that I should withdraw from uh, all these worldly activities and maybe become a monk and go to the Himalayas and meditate and study and become enlightened. That seems to be what your teaching implies, that self-knowledge is supreme. But then you are saying you have to fight this war. Why? If knowledge, enlightenment is superior to action, why are you forcing me? Why are you insisting on this action and the most terrible of actions? This, this horrible engagement uh, in, um, in war and destruction. So, there is Krishna's answer. So, it, it, this is analogous to, maybe not as dramatic in our lives. We don't have to fight wars and uh, uh, do all that. But we do have our little battlefields. Everybody. Uh, whether it's uh, in our professional lives, in, in our, our relationships, or uh, you know, at, at office or at home. Or even in our personal lives, it could be a battle of, of health, uh, physical, mental issues, and all of these things. So these are all our little battlefields, which, which we all have. How much should we engage in these things? Uh, to what end? To per what purpose? If the message of religion or spirituality is true, if God exists, if I am an immortal soul, then what is the importance of this little life? So that is the big question. And Krishna's answer is of vital importance to us for practical religion. I mean, quite apart from metaphysics, quite apart from Vedanta and the infinite being and Brahman and Atman, what is the importance for our personal lives, or for, for the way we put spirituality into practice in our lives? So Krishna's answer to that question is, he says to Arjuna, Lokeyasmin dvividha nishtha pura prokta mayanagha Jnana yogena sankhyanam karma yogena yoginam says, O Arjuna, there is this twofold path which I have taught from ancient times. Spirituality from its very beginning has these two aspects. What are these two aspects? Sort of cryptically, he says, um, for the sankhyas, it is the path of jnana, knowledge. And for the yogis, it is the path of action. Jnana yoga for Sankhyas and Karma yoga for the yogis. Now what does that mean? What does that mean? We'll deliberate upon that for some time. And this interpretation, remember, is according to classical Advaita Vedanta, based on the uh, commentaries of Shankaracharya on these verses. So what is this Karma yoga? What is this Jnana yoga? What is the path of knowledge? What is the path of action? In a sense, Jnana Yoga tells us that we are already that perfect spiritual being, that existence, awareness, bliss, uh, infinite isness awareness, I would like to put it that way. This infinite isness awareness, this term I, I use sometimes, is actually a direct translation of uh, the Upanishadic definition of Brahman. Satyam Jnana Manantam Brahma. Satyam means isness. Uh, jnana means awareness. Anantam means infinite. So Brahman, the ultimate reality is infinite isness awareness. One might say, well, good for the, the ultimate reality. What about me? <laughs> you are that. That is the essence of the Upanishadic teaching, that you are actually not what you think you are. You are this infinite isness awareness. Well, good, but our first reaction is, I do not know this. I, I hear this. Uh, I, I read about it. But it's not evident to me. Even after I listen to it, uh, and then, Swami, you provide me with many arguments in its favor. 
well it sounds interesting but it's, it seems so far from my lived experience this life uh, so my uh, reply to this my uh, you know come back to this this claim that you are infinite being awareness is that it sounds cool but it's not me i don't get it so the problem is ignorance and ignorance of a particular kind ignorance of our real nature uh, as far as vedanta has claimed it if ignorance is uh, the problem then always the solution is knowledge what kind of knowledge what we are ignorant of there must be knowledge of that so we are ignorant of the true nature of the self at least according to advaita vedanta then the knowledge must be of the true nature of ourselves and what is the method for this the method suggested by krishna is gyana yoga gyana yoga literally comprises of um shravana manana nididhyasana so this vedantam this body of knowledge is there one must systematically shravana means literally hearing but one must systematically study this preferably under a competent teacher one must systematically study this and when you study it you have doubts you have questions um, i hear what you are saying but here are the here are my questions my doubts and those things have to be clarified so there is a process of reasoning often it is question answer between teacher and student or or between the text and the reader uh, or between different students people who are studying it together so this process of inquiry at this level uh, it goes on until we have clarity until we can confidently claim that yes i understand i know the teaching and i understand it now but even after that there remains a feeling i understand it but it's not a living reality for me now it i still my life is still going on the way it was uh, i don't feel significantly different so to uh, to make it a living reality this understanding has to be deepened and i'm choosing my words carefully here you are not looking for another new mystical experience the problem with mystical experiences is that uh, um, you know i was just listening to this talk by christoph koch who is the uh, chief scientist of the paul allen brain institute he's written a new book the feeling of life itself and he was giving a talk at the harvard bookstore just earlier this week so online webinar nowadays uh, by the way it's not just us who who have internet difficulties you know uh, i uh, it's not just who have internet internet difficulties it's uh, the harvard bookstore when they started the webinar the speaker had disappeared they couldn't find the speaker <laughs> he was offline so they had to call the speaker get hold of him uh, he he was having internet difficulties of his own so this went on for quite some time um so he was saying in that talk he was quite open about having um, um having mystical experiences he had this experience where he was aware but there was no sense of self that he felt he had transcended time and space all those experiences when say that's wonderful here is a scientist saying that but ah there's a catch he is saying all that i experienced but that does not mean that i actually transcended time and space it's just it's possible for the brain to generate such such experiences um, you feel that way and a mystic experience provides you with that so he's taking a mystic experience seriously but within the confines of physical science that uh, the brain by itself can produce such experiences but that's not the not the 
uh, understanding that say spirituality wants to take from it when spirituality says that you are this um, uh, that unlimited awareness um, pervading and transcending time and space they literally mean it they they're not saying that you feel like that what's the good of feeling like that if you're not if you're ultimately just a mass of flesh and blood after some time you're going to die and that's the end of it no matter what your mystical experiences and if that's all that there is to it then um, uh, then there's not much point to all these discussions so the problem with mystical experiences is it could be treated as uh, something being produced by your brain and you don't have to go to the latest um consciousness studies for that all throughout history mystics have been criticized and dismissed as being mad or subject to hallucinations so that had so that is the problem with mystic experiences it might be wonderful for the person who's having it uh, but not necessarily convincing either for the person and certainly not for others also vedanta is not even asking you to believe in it rather the understanding which you have got through shravana and manana that is deepened and a clarity dawns on you through meditation through that nididhyasana vedantic meditation that i am brahman just as we feel or even more so then we feel that i am this body and mind much more so that i am this infinite being it becomes clear to you i am beyond death beyond disease and so on now this sounds wonderful so we have a method now for realizing it but the problem here is that we may be trying it we may claim that we have attended many many talks and we have many many notebooks full of uh, notes taken during vedanta talks sincerely I, i remember when i was a novice we used to sit with this wonderful teacher this swami on the roof of the um, monastery in deoghar after breakfast and study the vedantic texts for an hour every day and there was this other novice who was senior to me who was leaving for the May, the belur monastery for his training center and he had a pile of notebooks which he had taken notes assiduously they're not only notes they're also doodles and cartoons and stuff like that when he got bored <laughs> and this treasure house he said i want to give you this gift and you know i knew what was coming i said no i don't have any space for that <laughs> all of that we may have and we we feel that we have not really become enlightened it is not not working this whole shravana manana nididhyasana this inquiry vedanta uh, it's just adding to my storehouse of knowledge but not really very enlightening for me not life transformative so what is the problem so there is the first level of problem ignorance but there's a um, a more basic level of problem called scattered mind not just ignorant mind but scattered mind in sanskrit vikshepa and for vikshepa for scattered mind as we know today it's a huge problem in this world today especially due to social media which um, shankaracharya or the upanishad rishis did not have to face uh, so the remedy for that of course is focus the remedy for distraction is focus and daniel goldman who wrote this book called focus he says i wrote this book because i kept hearing of this serious new problem distraction has always been a problem the vedantins of upanishads 5000 years ago recorded as a big obstacle distraction distraction but today in the 21st century daniel goldman writes that um, um, parents and teachers even in corporations uh, people are talking about this new generation of youngsters bought up from babyhood with these devices 
and tremendously, they're very intelligent, but tremendously distracted minds. Uh, they can't focus or hold on to the focus for more than a few minutes. We have all had that problem, uh, but this has just uh, exacerbated. The modern technology seems to have exacerbated the lifestyle we have. So distraction, he wrote this book called Focus. And thousands of years before Daniel Goleman, in Vedanta, in Buddhism, in all, in yoga, they said focus is essential for spiritual life. Mm -hmm. I was reading one of the texts that we had for Christian contemplative studies at the Divinity School was Simone Weil's uh, book, um, I think, Waiting for God. Uh, so there, there's a chapter on concentration, on the utility of school studies for spiritual life. Very interesting. I think it's something that every student should read, especially spiritual, spiritual seekers, students who are spiritual seekers, who are interested in spirituality. There she writes that seriously studying in school, by school she means of course school and uh, college and university, seriously studying in sc at school develops the faculty of concentration, which is vital for spiritual life. So she says, every subject, even the subjects you don't like, the subjects you don't like and feel bored by, especially those ones, if you can develop the ability to focus on that, that is of inestimable value in your spiritual life. She goes on to say that she equates distraction, lack of concentration, lack of focus with sin, with being unspiritual, and concentration and focus with being spiritual. How do you do that? In the Upanishadic or Vedantic scheme of things, uh, the method for focus is called upasana. Upasana literally means worship. Now it has two components. Worship has two components. Um, one is of course devotion when you are worshipping something. And there is also the, con uh, con the component of meditation. So focus, devotion and meditation. Bhakti yoga and Raja Yoga. Both are implied in the Vedic term Upasana. In fact, the term Upasana is a common Indian word in just about every Indian language. It means worship. Now, there's no time to dilate on this subject, but note two interesting things. These two components, the devotion part of it, the bhakti part of it, deals primarily with emotions. One, the major source of distraction for us in this world is desire. This outward movement of the psychic being towards things in the world. In fact, Freud defines libido of the, as the movement of the subject towards the object. Anything in the world outside towards which we flow internally, from, from within to outward. So that is caused by desire. It's of the nature, I want. I want the world. What bhakti does, what devotion to God does is, it replaces the world with God. The same I want, I want the world, that's replaced God. Same I want now flows towards God. That I want XYZ which was scattered in the world, in a hundred different desires. Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, for worldly persons, they, they are scattered in a hundred different ways. So in a hundred different ways, that I want was broken up and was flowing towards the world. Now the whole thing is pulled back and it's directed towards God. It's concentrated and directed towards God. 
that itself solves i would say 80% of the problem of uh, distraction but 20% more you need actually a practice of meditation um so to actually consciously deliberately collect the powers of the mind and direct attention towards an object of meditation uh, that is necessary so this pa- this um, upasana has two aspects there's an emotional aspect dealt with by bhakti and there is a psychic control aspect mental control aspect dealt with by raja yoga or patanjali yoga both are necessary at this point a critic a skeptic would say yeah that's true but you know i have been trying to meditate for most of my life and it is not working let me tell you i either feel sleepy or i feel um you know restless and distracted so it's not working why is meditation not working why is upasana not working there is an even more basic level of of problems and obstacles and i assure you this is the last one and this we are not going to go on and on uh, i'm reminded of this funny anecdote i'm sure it didn't happen but somebody it, it's in england that uh, when i think bertrand russell was talking about science and philosophy uh, about the nature of the world uh, and the planet earth you know uh, hanging in empty space one little old lady comes up to him and says young man you are very clever but everybody knows that the earth rests on a tortoise on a giant tortoise <laughs> and so either it was russell or some scientist he said yes ma'am but what does the tortoise rest on and she smiled oh don't try to be so clever everybody knows it's tortoise is all the way down <laughs> <laughs> so i'm not going to say there're going to be problems all the way down this is the rock bottom the the ground level problem is uh, impurity of mind uh, in sanskrit chitta mala impurity of mind so see three levels of problems impure mind scattered mind ignorant mind so impure mind the obvious uh, remedy for this is pure mind that's so a no brainer how do you achieve that so this is where karma yoga is very useful uh, where our the actions of our life are spiritualized instead of being self directed doing things for oneself one does it either as welfare of of everybody else i'm doing it as service to humanity or uh, as service to god that could be easier for many people i am doing all the actions of my life as a worship of of the lord here something has to be noted last night i was asked to give a talk to one of our ashrams in india and that was in hindi i haven't spoken in hindi for i think 5 or 6 years but it went well one in the q and a one a young man asked so the discussion was on karma yoga so these are all uh, close devotees of the ashram who are engaged in a lot of activity work so he says well swami when i work for others i do service for others that i understand is karma yoga but then there are so many things that i do for myself so there are for example something that, so i'm eating that's obviously for myself there is no element of um, karma yoga there uh, there is something in between like when i'm doing things for my family for my parents or family when i'm doing a job and getting a salary that's in between that's not quite just myself but not quite very openly for the for welfare of this there's still a me and mine involved there how do i make everything into karma yoga and the answer was 
don't have separate philosophies. Don't have a philosophy for social work and a philosophy for office work and a philosophy for dealing with your, uh, you know, interacting with your family and a philosophy for yourself. No. Have one philosophy that covers everything and that's the philosophy of Karma Yoga. All of it is Karma Yoga. Um, whether you are feeding the poor in the, in the Vedanta society or I mean in the ashram there or you're teaching children for free um, as a service or you're working in the office and getting a salary or you're taking care of your parents and your family or you're feeding this body all of it belongs to the Lord the mistake is to think that so when I'm doing it something for this body I'm doing it for myself look at the insidious thought in that that I am the body yeah. I am this thing and the ones connected to this body father, mother, husband, wife, children they are mine that all comes from the body idea whereas karma yoga says the entire thing belongs to the Lord and truly does it not I, I said to him uh, that uh, even take the most the thing which you identify with the most the body and when I do something for the body I feel I am doing it for myself it seems obvious to me but really how much of the body do you have control over possession over you know one sadhu in Uttarakhand he said um, is this body yours uh, yours you show me the papers for the body if the cop pulls you over here and says show the paper not for the car license and registration for the body <laughs> how do I know this is your body how do I know you have not stolen this body <laughs> who gave you this body a gift did somebody give it to you as a gift do you remember being given this body from now on it's yours no did anybody tell you it's your body no you just assumed <laughs> that's not something that will fly in the local precinct that <laughs> I just assumed it's my car no do you own the materials out of which this body is made? And the earth and the fire and the water and the, or the so many elements. No, they are made by God. You don't own them. They are God's elements. Did you make this body? Even your parents did not make this body. Nature makes this body. Nature is the, is the power of God. Does this body, do you have control over this body? No, and thank God that we do not have control over the body. Within a minute we would be in the ICU. Under Rama's care. <laughs> that, uh, we do not, the, almost all the processes, especially the vital processes, are run automatically by nature. They are on autopilot. If we try to run it, we would make a mess of it within seconds. So, even this body, as a matter of fact, not as a matter of belief, as a matter of belief, in fact, it, you think it's yours. As a matter of fact, it's not yours. If somebody protests, so that's a very religious way of thinking. Alright, Bhagavad Gita, see how impersonal it can be. It says, Prakrityeva karmani kriyamanani sarvasha yapashyati tathatmanam akartaram sapashyati. In the 13th chapter, I think, in the Bhagavad Gita, it says, everything here, body and mind also, everything is being done by nature. No, God is not introduced here at all. Everything is being done by nature. This much is true. Whether it's nature or God, it's not you. The one who understands this, understands that the self is not a doer, not an agent of action. It's not doing anything here at all. It's just illumining it. It's a very Sankhyan concept. So, 
even for the body i told that young man that you must have the same philosophy it all belongs to the lord even when i'm taking care of the body i am serving the lord so one philosophy whether you are eating food or you are putting food into the mouths of hungry orphans at the ashram it is all service of the lord so karma yoga produces purity of mind uh, chitta shuddhi purity of mind this cleansing of the heart cleansing of the mind you know in the beatitudes when jesus christ says blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see god this is the precondition of illumination of of god realization blessed are the pure in heart this is the groundwork the unglamorous uh, hard the, what do you call in america the grunt work of spiritual life um, what swami vivekananda insisted on again and again that um, a moral ethical life character building first of all before ecstasies and uh, you know high philosophy so this character building the basis of spiritual life impure mind overcome by pure mind pure mind generated by karma yoga then you go to the next level distracted mind overcome by focused mind focused mind generated by upasana with two aspects bhakti and dhyana meditation then with this purified and concentrated mind you go to the third level where the problem is ignorant mind ignorant mind overcome by knowledge knowledge generated by gyana yoga this is the structure of spiritual practice again of course this is a classical advaita interpretation um the three kinds of obstructions what i said all this time uh, in the himalayas if you ask a monk he will just use half a sentence uh, he it say malavikshepa avarana nivritti that's it mala means impurity of mind vikshepa means scattered mind avarana means veiled mind veiled mind these three three things have to be tackled all of spiritual practice is a kind of negative practice it removes obstacles you cannot catch hold of god by spiritual practice you cannot realize who you are the and enlightenment it cannot be done by spiritual practice that is the great conclusion of shankaracharya what does spiritual practice do it has a negative impact that means it removes the obstacles it doesn't catch hold of god it doesn't make you into brahman god is you are already brahman whether self knowledge or god realization whichever way you put it neither are uh, under uh, are not neither are amenable to our efforts it's an established fact in self knowledge you will say it shines forth by itself not because we did something in god realization you will say by the grace of the lord i realize the lord not because of our uh, the effort that we put in is the effort that we put in action is it useless yeah. i'm tying it back to arjuna's question is it useless not at all it is most useful but it is useful in removing the dirt the complications that we have set up over lifetimes it's the mess that we have made that we have to clean up otherwise it's all right uh, so the removal of impurity the focusing of removal of impurity removal of distraction removal of ignorance that we can do so that is within our the range of our effort and at each level the method changes so karma yoga then upasana and then gyana yoga uh, first unselfish action 
moral and ethical action and selfish action leading to devotion to god um, and focused mind leading to inquiry philosophical uh, inquiry into the self so this is the structure of spiritual practice this is what krishna meant when he said to arjuna about the question of action and knowledge if knowledge is superior spiritual enlightenment is superior why are you asking me to do things in this world especially terrible things uh, krishna's answer was it will not work spiritual knowledge will arise through see when i tell you that you are the atman you will immediately give the first of the objections that i don't know veiled mind and if you try to tackle it you will give the second objection you bring forth you will yourself realize will ourselves realize that uh, we have that other level of problems distracted mind and when we try to meditate and overcome that we will ourselves realize we have that ground level of problems impure mind so these three have to be tackled by us and therefore krishna says i am teaching you uh, action also what kind of action that unselfish action which clears up the ground level of problems that is the impure mind impure mind must be purified um then the purified mind must be concentrated later on in 6th chapter krishna will teach meditation and then comes the uh, cultivation the inquiry into the self the gyana yoga which is the level of knowledge or, or uh, enlightenment which will lead directly to enlightenment so this is the structure so action is prescribed because it will generate fitness for enlightenment and this is what advaita says again and again advaita does not discard action in fact from advaitic perspective action is most important in spiritual life without that the fitness for enlightenment will not be generated the fitness for gyana yoga it depends on doing karma yoga this is shankaracharya's own words this may sound contradictory because shankaracharya keeps on saying action and knowledge are contradictory this is, we'll see why so but this is from shankaracharya's own commentary that the fitness for gyana yoga is generated by karma yoga and upasana fitness for enlightenment is generated by unselfish action and devotion so once you are fit for um enlightenment so do you give up action not there too uh, sri krishna says that every moment the body is acting either you do so through in, through ignorance when you are identified with body and mind or you do so through enlightenment after being enlightened even then action continues Um, Aurobindo, the great modern Indian philosopher, has severely criticized Shankara because he says Shankara put forth an ideal of the inactive monk. That is the highest ideal, and that is not what the Gita or the Upanishads teach. So Shankara taught renunciation of action, but I think that is not a good reading of Shankara. It's very telling that uh, uh, Aurobindo, in his long life, after an initial period of uh, political activism actually gave up all action himself and the rest of his life he was completely withdrawn and inactive more than any other monk as far as external world was concerned of course he was very active on a on an in an internal uh, you know like on an intellectual and spiritual plane but practically speaking he was directly almost inaccessible to people for most of the his later life uh, 
In contrast, it's it's ironic. In contrast, Shankaracharya, whom he is accused of praising inaction, Shankaracharya was active throughout his short life of 32 years. Intense activity. Whether it's composing the Bhashyas, whether it is um, spreading the word of Vedanta, establishing the monastic orders, reorganizing Hinduism. The effects of his actions can be felt down centuries till today, 1400 years. Uh, I am a monk of an order um, started by Shankaracharya. So, here is this person. You are accusing him of, uh, of abandoning action and praising inaction. Most active person. Intensely active person. And the person who accuses him is the most inactive person. In a, in a, uh, in a uh, gross sense. That in the sense, ex- external sense. Of course, internally he was a great yogi. Anyway, polemics apart. We'll dive a little deeper into this question of action and knowledge. Before we resurface again, hopefully we'll, they say that there are gems in the depth of the ocean. So we'll have to take a, hold our breath and dive deep into the ocean of a very subtle way of thinking. So, the, um, what is the enlightened person's perspective on action? Krishna says even an enlightened person does action for the welfare of the world. But what is the enlightened person's perspective on action? How is it different from ours? In the fourth chapter, uh, Krishna says to Arjuna that there is a mystery about action. What is that mystery? He says the mystery is something like this. Karmanya karma yah pashyet akarmani cha karmaya sabuddhiman manushyeshu sayukta kritsna karma krit The one who sees no work, who sees work in no work. And uh, the first one is akarmani cha karma ya pashyet. So, so when there is work, he sees no work. And when there is no work, he sees work there. Such a person is wise. And uh, such a person is, is truly established in yoga. And such a person is the doer of all works. Now what a strange statement. You see that when there is work, you are seeing it as no work. And uh, when there is no work, you say that it is work. And such a person is supposed to be intelligent. Who is intelligent? The one who sees things as they are. If there is work, by work and no work means the way we normally would understand it. Person sitting quietly, no work. Person running around doing all sorts of things, uh, you know, busy. A city that never sleeps. So, that is work. In Manhattan, people are always working. So, when you are active, physically, uh, mentally, that is work. And when you're physically, you see that you're sitting quietly, maybe a yogi in the Himalayas, that is no work. And according to Krishna, the one who sees, when a person is running around and doing all sorts of activities, who sees truly that it's not, it's not work. And when a person is sitting quietly, apparently not doing anything, the person will say, no, that's work. And that's supposed to be intelligent. Buddhiman. That is an intelligent person, the knower among all, uh, all people. So that is supposed to be a person who is a true yogi, yuktaha, established in yoga. And there is a person, mysterious term, the doer of all works. What does this mean? The enlightened person sees that apparently for the enlightened person, when the enlightened person is doing a lot of work, like Krishna, and like Shankaracharya or Vivekananda, If you ask that person, he will say, truly speaking, I am not doing anything. How is that possible? 
what is the nature of enlightenment that's what is being shown here the relation of knowledge and action at a deep level is being shown here to illustrate this shankaracharya in his commentary on this verse he says that imagine a boat you're in a river in a boat and suddenly you get this shock you see that you feel you are stationary and the bank is moving the trees on the bank are moving the buildings on the bank are moving um i had this experience i was so thrilled to see this commentary because in belurmat in our monastery there which is on the on the ganga when you cross the ganga and you go to the other side where is calcutta so you come from calcutta to belurmat or you're going from belurmat to calcutta in the middle of the river as there's little boats are there so as you go on those little boats suddenly you feel that you are stationary in the river but the the trees and the temples and all on the bank they are moving obviously it's just an illusion you know you get this feeling sometimes you're sitting on a train and uh, um so you suddenly feel the other the platform is moving and <laughs> it's actually you are moving but your uh, the nature of the movement of the boat is actually superimposed on the bank the unmoving bank seems to be moving and the moving boat does not seem to be moving so exactly like that shankaracharya says in our case you the witness consciousness you are never changing you are always the illuminer of all action but the action of the body and mind the movement of the body speech thinking of the mind all that is imposed upon you and you get the feeling i walk i talk i think i am happy i am unhappy these are all movements of the mind these are all movements of the body these are all changes taking place in the world in the body in the mind not in you you are like the bank of the river you are like the temple on the bank which is not moving not like the boat it's the movement of the boat which is suddenly put illusorily it appears on the bank the movement of the body and mind the activities of the organs it appears imposed upon you the witness consciousness and you feel you are in action the enlightened person knows though it looks like that actually i the witness consciousness i the atman that infinite isness awareness i do not do anything this all the doing is happening on in the body mind at the level of appearance the screen in in the movie and suppose there is a car chase going on in the movie and the cops are chasing the robbers the screen is neither dri- driving a car nor chasing robbers the screen is not a cop nor a robber nothing but it enables the entire movie to happen without the screen nothing would happen you the uh, in- infinite isness awareness in you the movie of life is playing and because you cover yourself up you are veiled you know veiled mind and then the game begins we we have become totally identified we think we are this body and mind and then whatever is happening in the movie we think this is real and this is what i am the enlightened person sees the movie and also knows nothing is actually happening so the enlightened person would say in the midst of all actions karmani akarmani cha karmani cha akarmaya pashyet in the midst of all activities who say who sees there is no activity going on at the level of the self i am the witness consciousness ever free of karma and in the case of the unenlightened person who says i will not engage in any kind of karma and i sit quietly and meditate on god the enlightened person will say that's also karma 
that's also a kind of karma not doing anything whether for an unenlightened person whether that person does something or does not do anything both are karma for an enlightened person whether that person does something through the body and mind or does not do something through the body and mind none of it is karma so when the unenlightened person sits runs away from society i will not be part of this world i will withdraw from all worldly activities still it's an activity it's still karma it's like when we say that i will fast now fasting is not a positive action you're just stopping yourself from eating but isn't it a kind of action because you are doing something it takes quite a bit of effort probably more effort than eating <laughs> so i will fast that's a kind of action so the enlightened person sees even when apparently there is no action there is action going on for the unenlightened person so such a person is intelligent buddhiman manushya this person truly sees the enlightened person sa yukta now we understand this person is a true yogi and the doer of all actions krishna karma krit means the doer of all actions what does it mean ultimately the purpose of all action is to lead you to enlightenment so this person has attained the purpose of all action we normally think what is the purpose of action it is to earn money it is to maintain my body it is to get me a nice apartment to live in it is to help people in the world that's all at the level of identification with body and mind all of this action will ultimately lead to enlightenment when you realize you are this unchanging isness awareness unlimited unchanging isness awareness so this is the secret of action from the enlightened person's perspective the enlightened person can engage in dynamic action for the welfare of others why welfare of others why not his own welfare because he does not need any welfare from the world you are in uh, immortal spirit spirit isness awareness what do you need from whom do you need anything what can add to you what can take away from you nothing can affect you all your needs are permanently satisfied so with the body and mind still appearing to the enlightened uh, being that body and mind that natural reaction will be to sacrifice it, it to let it go in the welfare of the world um in the song of the sanyasin when he talks about enlightenment that uh, that let the body go he says let karma float it down its task is done go thou from place to place and enlighten people bring them out from maya's veil swami vivekananda says so their actions will be now for the welfare of the world not just spiritual welfare swami vivekananda said it is an insult to a starving man to teach him metaphysics so will be like oh, all round welfare spiritual welfare educational um, you know physical in all, all ways the enlightened person will try to bring about the welfare of others that's one kind of enlightened person there may be other kinds see for an enlightened person there is no prescription that they have to be like this that's where i think uh, arvind is mistaken again that they have to be like this they have to engage in action no not necessarily so ami gambhiranji speaks of three kinds of jeevan muktas three kinds of enlightened persons one might be completely absorbed in brahman in samadhi barely aware of the external world or not at all aware and such persons have attained to the peak of uh, spiritual attainment they have realized what the truth is and they are absorbed in it that's what vivekananda wanted from sridamakrishna 
So Ramakrishna scolded him, thank God, but then that's why we are sitting here today. But what he wanted was not a mean thing. That is in traditional um, spiritual path, that is regarded as the final, the highest. So that's one kind of enlightened person. Are they enlightened? Yes. Like Totapuri, for example. Enlightened, of course. Someone like Ramana Maharshi, for example. Perfectly enlightened. Note, he was always absorbed. But a great amount of good was done through him and is still being done. Just because he was absorbed in God. Swami Vivekananda says, these rare souls who may sit in a mountain cave and be absorbed in, in God and pass away there, they will think a few thoughts for the welfare of, of the world. And those thoughts will live on. They will penetrate through the stone walls of the caves and permeate the thought universe of the world and will work out their effect. So, one kind of enlightened person remains absorbed in Brahman in, in the, and not at all active, at least from our perspective. The second kind of enlightened person is aware of this world. Enlightened, but aware of the appearance of the world, the world appearance. And considers it as fun, as magic, as something, something crazy. I am reminded of that sadhu in Dakshineshwar who would come out, who would meditate all day long in the cave and come out once in a while, look at the temple and the river and the sky and say, wow, wow, how wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Now what, are, what is the play of Maya? And go back into the hut and meditate again. They look upon it, upon it as play. They are often the crazy people of God. Sri Ramakrishna says enlightened persons may sometimes live like little children or like mad people. That, that man the, who came just like a, like a, you know what you might call a hobo into the Dakshineshwar temple. Dirty, matted hair. People thought he was crazy. And Sri Ramakrishna pointed him out to Riday. Look, that's an enlightened person. He's a Jeevan Mukta, liberated while living. People thought he was mad. I think uh, children laughed at him and chased him or something like that. But when he came, he came into the temple of Kali and recited a hymn. He said, the, veritably, it's as if the entire temple was shaking. And when he walked away, so Ridayaram thought, uh, maybe I can catch hold of him and get enlightenment or at least some spiritual advice. He started chasing him. And this uh, crazy man threw stones at him to dissuade him. Finally, he would not listen and came close and asked him, give me some spiritual advice. And the man just said, look at this ditch water, dirty water of the drain and the water of the, of the Ganga. When the two you see them, are, they are the same, then you have attained enlightenment. And then he walked on. So such people are there. They are also enlightened. But they are not engaged in action, like deliberate action for the welfare of the world as we might think it. The third category is those who feel for the sufferings of everybody else and they want to help everybody. Their hearts melt with compassion. So those are the enlightened ones who are the great teachers of the world. They spend the rest of their lives like the Buddha, like Vivekananda, like Shankara uh, in uh, uplifting humanity. Um, for the welfare of the world. The third kind of action is uh, what Sri Ramakrishna, what Swami Vivekananda, they, that is what they stressed as karma yoga from an, uh, the action performed by an enlightened being for the welfare of the world. Um, one might ask, well, what good is that? Let me first attain enlightenment and then I will do that kind of action for the welfare of the world. No, Shankaracharya himself says in the Bhagavad Gita in the second chapter when Arjuna asks Krishna, 
what are the characteristics of an enlightened person stita pragyasya kaabhasha what are the characteristics of an enlightened person very beautiful sequence of verses at the end of the second chapter um there shankaracharya comments you know what's the point of knowing the characteristics of an enlightened person that might be nice to know but what relevance does it have for us now he says no it has great relevance yani eva kritarthasya lakshanani tani eva sadhakasya sadhanani yatna sadhyatvat he says that's a line from his commentary whatever are the characteristics of enlightened persons the characteristics of saints those are practices for the rest of us that's natural for them the unselfishness the fearlessness the complete serenity the um, ability to withstand suffering and not be moved all of that those are practices for the rest of us they it comes naturally to them we must consciously practice them so that's the thing that we have to live we have to try to live like that why because he says by practicing that we will become enlightened that's where the virtues which are taught on the path of spirituality they come from the lives of the enlightened beings we see how they are and then we try to inculcate them there's an element of artificiality involved there because we are not yet there but there's no other way of progressing we have to do that so all the great spiritual traditions of the world from the beginning they have taught both knowledge and action and we now realize these are not two separate things they are essential action is essential for enlightenment on a deeper level the two are the same the action is an expression of enlightenment the third kind of enlightened being the action is an expression of enlightenment so when bhagavad gita krishna says look at how how there is a continuity of thought gita krishna says to arjuna the sum and substance of my teaching is ma manusmara yuddhacha keep your mind on me and fight the battle of life look knowledge and action you might say devotion and action fine but it's a connection with god spirituality and a connection with the world do fight your battle of life wherever you are you have to do this and keep your mind on god not one of the two often monks we have a debate on this why not just keep your mind on god and the other monks would say why not just do good to humanity why bring in all that metaphysics but both are necessary and both are necessary because the deeper uh, understanding is it's not both it's the same thing if we try to say one and not the other there is some lack of understanding there only the world not god is a lack of understanding there what is this world you're trying to serve only god not the world what is this world you're trying to avoid it's god uh, with eyes closed and eyes open as sri ramakrishna would say jesus christ when he was asked what should we do of all the commandments in the judaic religion what is the important one and jesus says love the lord thy god with all thy heart and all thy might what a beautiful statement and one more love thy neighbor they are not two things this is the same thing action and knowledge and then vivekananda when he gave a motto for us atmano mokshartham jagat hitayacha for the liberation of the self i hear the self means the individual self the uh, the one identified with body and mind not the uh, ultimate self of isness awareness because that's already liberated always so the one where we find ourselves right now for our liberation atmano mokshartham jagat hitayacha 
for the welfare of the world. Jer means and. So knowledge and action. Why both? Because the deeper understanding is, the preliminary understanding, as Shankaracharya says, without that action you will not attain to that knowledge. That action makes us ready for that knowledge. You remember? Um, impure mind, distracted mind, ignorant or veiled mind. And for that you need karma yoga, upasana and jnana yoga. So all of that is necessary for enlightenment. But the deeper understanding is this one's own enlightenment and the welfare of the world are part of the same spiritual philosophy. They are not two different things. Yeah. So whether it is Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita or Jesus Christ or today Swami Vivekananda, this synthesis of knowledge and action, it is a more holistic spiritual philosophy, a more comprehensive spiritual philosophy which covers the entirety of our life. Like Sister Nivedita said, henceforth no division between the secular and the spiritual, secular and the sacred. No division between secular and sacred, not in the sense of our secular world, where even the sacred is secularized. So sacred is secularized means yoga, which is a spiritual path. What is it for? Well, it prevents uh, wrinkles and it keeps you limber and uh, uh, it boosts your immune system. All of that is true. But those are the secular benefits. You have made it into a secular practice. Uh, a little bit of calisthenistics, this um, um, you know, physical exercise. No. Um, even the secular world is spiritualized. All of it is for enlightenment. All of it is for God-realization. Whether you are on the path of bhakti, devotion, all of it is for as a worship of my beloved Lord. What I do in my heart and what I do in the world outside. Or in the path of self-realization, all of it is an expression that I am Brahman. The Gita verse where Sri Krishna uh, integrates both. Brahmaharpanam Brahmahavi Brahmaharpanam Brahmahavi Brahmagno Brahmanahutam Brahmhevate Nagantavyam Brahmakarma Samadhina Favorite verse because it is followed immediately by delicious food. But it is not a verse for eating. It means, imagine the ancient Vedic worship, the fire sacrifice. There is a ladle, the arpan, by which the havi, the sacrificial, the, the, uh, the clarified butter is offered into the fire by the priest, uh, accompanied by the chanting of, of mantras. All of it is said, all of this is Brahman. The ladle with which you are making the offering is Brahman. The offering is Brahman. The fire is Brahman. The priest is Brahman. Uh, the one who sees Brahman in all activities, in all action, Brahma Karma Samadhi, the one who sees Brahman in all action, which means action is being performed, that one attains to Brahman, who realizes, I am Brahman. See, what a beautiful synthesis of knowledge and action. I pray to Sri Ramakrishna, the Holy Mother, Swami Vivekananda, and this is the month of uh, the worship of the Divine Mother, the Navaratri. So I pray, I pray to the Divine Mother Durga to protect all of us at this difficult and troubled time to bless all of us. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanamastu